You are listening to SequelCast 2 and Friends, part of the Tokyo Beat Podcast Network. Just thought I'd say goodbye to you, animals. Hey, Mr. Levenstein, how are you, sir? Hey. All packed up, I see? Yeah, we're, we're all set, Dad. Don't worry, okay? We'll be fine. After the credits roll, there's always more to tell. Especially when the video sounds are doing really well. From shock treatment to Jason X to Police Academy 6. This is Sequel Cast. And they are unsurpassed at following a franchise until the better end. This is Sequel Cast. And your hosts have asked that I inform you that the show will now begin. Hello and welcome to Sequel Cast 2 and Friends, a podcast looking at movies in a franchise one at a time. We are looking at the American Pie movies. Uh, let's go around. This time we're looking specifically at American Pie 2. This is directed by James B. Rogers with the screenplay by Adam Hertz. And it uh, came out in 2001. August 10th, 2001 in the States. So, um, you know, a month, more or less a month before 9-11. Oh, would America ever laugh again? Oh, jeez. Uh-huh. Yeah. But, I mean, it goes to show you how long ago this came out, and it went uh, to just two years after the first one, so they really wanted people to have American Pie in the zeitgeist. As it says in the poster, this summer it's all about sticking together, and that's a pun with oh. one of the jokes in the film. Um, with me is Thrasher. Uh, Muselage uh, is a dangerous territory, and I would uh, would think any adhesive product uh, would uh, have a warning uh, on the tube, and the fact that it doesn't uh, has me a straight tripping, boo. That's uh, very good with uh, your Eugene Levy impersonation. You also have Alex. It says, see, the title, the tagline says it's all about sticking together because the main character uh, sticks his hand to his penis because instead of using lube to masturbate, he puts glue in his hand and thus hey, tapes glues his. Oh, I'm sorry. I didn't know we were doing spoilers. <laughs> As a Michael Jackson cover by Alien Ant Farm. Oh, yeah, that was a that was a big song. Anchoring it, was... it in the early 2000s. Yes, it's yeah. uh, I, I like I think it's a good cover, but I don't know why it. Oh, no, works, it's a good it doesn't cover, really work with the, the scene. It's, it's a, a good, good cover if you're like playing, if you're like a bar band, you know, like sure. a rock band doing a Michael Jackson song. I wouldn't expect it to top the charts or anything. But, but the thing is, it's the version of Smooth Criminal you can listen to without any guilt. Yeah, right. And yet the lyrics are still creepy. You know, the window. You know, I, just, I just don't think the, this, the music works for the scene in this film. No, not at all. I mean, like well, the bass line of... is kind of cool with the... the crunchy guitar but it's just like radio hits at the time that every that no one remembers anymore i know for yeah real. that's it it's 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 a lot of it's a lot of strange things plucked off of pre-9-11 radio the songs you half listen to while you're talking to your friend on the phone but mtv was on in the background <laughs> <laughs> you left it on because damn it they were playing music videos for a change so uh, Jake Fogelnist uh, of the late lamented podcast, The Fogelnist Files, which I really wish he would revive. He he used to work for MTV. He did he did Squirt TV 
uh, for them back in the the 90s. And he got really involved with like what went on behind the scenes of the network because he was just fascinated by television. And it turns out, and he's very forthcoming about this, music videos were never successful on MTV. It's what everyone says they want, but no one watches them. And when a music video starts, that's when people start changing the channel. No shit. Yeah, it's 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 so it's so bizarre. Um, and, and like so so that's why the only shows that played music videos that were really successful had some sort of gimmick like those like daily top 10 countdowns and like Beavis and Butthead where they would have Beavis and Butthead making jokes about the music videos they were watching. Oh, yeah. Or TRL Total Request Live. Uh, so you can tell we want to talk about American Pie, too. Yes, yes, the the essence of the times, 2001. I think re-watching this one made me think, like, oh, I keep on getting this movie and the first one confused. Because I, I would say, this is a strange word to use in comparison to American Pie, but I would say American Pie 2, in, in some ways, is more nuanced. In a sense, yeah, I, I could, I will give it that, yeah. Right, you could say by American it's, Pie standards, more nuanced. It's um, it's the, marginally more funny, which I didn't, which isn't saying a whole lot, but like there's a little bit more development, and I think that gives the jokes something to hang on to, which I think makes it a little bit better. Well, something that does work is like Jason Biggs can do physical comedy. And they bother to give him a lot more physical comedy to do, and so like those scenes are always great. It's like he just channels his inner Buster Keaton and suddenly there's something worth watching on the screen. <laughs> yeah, when he's running into the bell or doing the trombone bit, like, he's he's got some chops, you know? I wasn't very nice to him on the last episode, I think, but when he gets some physical stuff to do, he's pretty fucking entertaining. Yeah, they know how to use him in this one. Yeah, and also everyone's, like, a little bit older, it, it being two years, but for the cast members that are younger you know that you can say a lot of these actors are in college now kind of sells it better than um some people just look a bit older even though they're younger and it's uh, it's just how it is but i think american pie i kind of made it hard to believe though some of these p- characters are high school students and then in american mm-hmm. pie too mm-hmm. now that it's college i can it's kind of an easier pill to swallow I, I do think the story to this movie is a little lazy instead of <laughs> taking them somewhere new They've just had their first year of college. They're back well, home. They do go to a beach house near the end. So, like, that's a different location. But So this is, yeah. this is the problem. Be- this movie works so hard to get all these characters together. As a result, there are five different inciting incidences that never link up. And the movie doesn't really start until over, like, until almost the halfway point. Uh, and on top of all that like because because the whole point is to get them to get them all hanging out in this vacation home you know you know how you do that with absolutely no setup either make this something that they had already planned to do and they go straight from college to the beach house or they don't plan to do it together but due to a filing error they all get booked into the same beach house and everybody is just suddenly there, and it's a pleasant or unpleasant surprise, as the case may be. Right. Like, they all go upstate or something like that, and, like, they all have, like, a shitty beach house, but, like, Stifler has a bitch in one. They're like, hey, yeah, like, come crash my pet pad, fuckwads, and exactly. it's, like, awesome, you know? You, you <laughs> could make that happen in five minutes. It does not With need 45 minutes. No, I mean, th- this movie, it, it does 
kind of go at great pains when it doesn't need to to try to explain why everyone is is back in the same place even though they've been in college for a year no one is doing study abroad no one is doing uh transferring colleges no one i i you know i have no idea no one has got a scholarship to somewhere else and has to you study know, that, for that, that was the one thing that i'm surprised didn't happen is like because and and i and i know this is true because i was that guy uh at the time that guy i'm that girl now but the the point is that there's always that one friend who doesn't go to college they wait a year i think we needed that character in this movie to to help ground yeah and if they don't do it the first year maybe they do it the second and i mean now i think it's more common they call it a a gap year yeah yeah and I, I think in looking back, I mean, in college, I, I don't know about um, YouTube, but like I was certainly burned out a lot of you do, uh, you know, public school all through high school, having to constantly study for tests and quizzes and all this crap. And then you have to do it again in college, except there's the stakes are higher. Yeah. See, you know what would have been money. funny is that like if you take like a lame character, like take like Shermanator, right? Say he mm-hmm. takes a lap year and then they come back from their first year in college and then like he's the man now, you know? Because like, <laughs> right. be, like the ultimate irony, right. like he's got all the babes, he's got like a party pad, you know? Like that'd be funny. See, I feel like the movie we're writing in our heads right now is probably a little bit better than this. Oh my gosh. No, you're right. I In my head, I was writing Punch Up the entire time and <laughs> that's fun for about t- 10 minutes but then when you keep writing punch up after the 10 minute mark, oh, it just it just makes the bile rise in your throat. <laughs> I'll tell you what, you know, the director here, James B. Rogers, he was the first assistant ah, first assistant director on the first American Pie. He's worked with the Ferrelli brothers a lot, uh, continues to as a first assistant director. And so he did a few of these sort of uh, comedies. But then um, I was looking at his IMDb and it has some some stuff that's pretty uh, interesting there. He was looking at, I just had it pulled up. Excuse me. Um, he he did the uh, TV movie about Arnold Schwarzenegger uh, winning the California election where Schwarzenegger is played by Jurgen Prock now. Interesting. Yeah, it was a made-for-TV movie called um, See Arnold Run. Oh, gee, what a title. <laughs> oh, that's what that is. Okay. Yeah. Not pumping the polls? <laughs> no, although they did do a TV movie about what went on during Pumping Iron, um, which is strange because I think Pumping Iron is a pretty works pretty well as a documentary to begin with. I don't know. So I think it's when, you know, they're adapting everything into um, features. But yeah, it looks like this director as well did a, a movie I've never heard of called The Pool Boys. Oh, I bet those pool boys get into some oh, shenanigans. Right. Wait, is that the pool boys with Kevin Sorbo and Danny Trejo? No, this has uh, Matthew Lillard. Oh, and uh, a pool boy and a gardener turn an empty mansion into a home for women who belong to the world's oldest profession. Oh, oh, I know what they're talking about. Wifely duties. <laughs> <laughs> negotiable wifely duty. Yes, yes, yes. Um, oh. But in all seriousness, if I could make a recommendation, watch The Pool Boy with Kevin Sorbo and Danny Trejo. It is the best thing Kevin Sorbo has ever done, and I that is honest praise. It is a hilarious movie. You okay. want to watch a very strange pool-themed movie? Check out Burt Lancaster in The Swimmer. You ever see this? Oh, yeah. Fucking yeah. great fucking movie, man. 
Yeah, when, you, when Gilbert Gottfried was on um, Turner Classic Movies, this is one of the films he recommended, and he would talk about it on his podcast a lot. You know, if you want to see so, a really kind of tug at your heartstrings, uh, kind of you know the child and all of us type movie about a pool, go see Cocoon. Yeah, yeah, Ron Ron Howard, right? And Wilford Brimley. And Wilford Brimley. I'm okay. I want to come back now. Yep. So. <laughs> Back to American Pie 2, I guess. Back to American Pie 2, I guess. Yeah, no, I mean, so, you know, the first movie opens on him jacking off and getting caught by parents. The second movie, of course, has him having sex with a college girl, and then all the parents walk in the room. I think this intro, I think, is funnier than the first one. It just is. Because the more and more, it just gets more and more absurd. <laughs> like, both sets of parents going in the room, and then Jim's dad doesn't leave. He's trying to have a conversation and trying to... Uh, again, I mean, it is one note, but um, and Levy's really good al- at it, and it just it is still like, takes almost seven minutes to get Eugene Levy to walk in on his son having sex. Oh yeah, no, I mean, <laughs> <laughs> right, and just and just Funny. think of the mechanics of this because it's okay, it's it's you know Jim's gonna take summer break off from college. He's apparently not moving out of his dorm room because the dorm room is still loaded with his stuff, all unpacked. <laughs> But he's with his he's with his girlfriend, and apparently they have never had sex. Who knows how long they've been dating? Um, and then, so not only does Eugene Levy come in, but then the girl's parents come in. So that means at some point, she told them, "Well, when you come to pick me up from college, don't go to my dorm room. Go to yeah. my boyfriend's dorm room." Unless it's implied that they're like co-ed roommates or something, but that seems unlikely given the yeah, maturity that's, level that's, here. And then just like we see everyone at college like drinking and not leaving, even though again they should it's the last day. Uh but then but then any time but then like there's also the RA it's like, well, you can't bring alcohol in here. Are you sure? Because everyone in this scene seems to be drinking alcohol. I know, right? I thought that was gonna be a punchline, like, you can't bring in alcohol. Like, huh, I'm just fucking kidding. Look around, dude. But funny yeah, that like, yeah. Well well last time, Thrasher, you you mentioned the the big joke. Uh, involving liquids in the first film, you found very gross. Did you think this one was less gross? Were stiffer? Um, I don't. I don't think it was less gross, but it didn't hit me quite the same way. If only because so John John Cho returns multiple times in this film, um, and. There's a scene where, like, you know, uh, after uh, Stifler has a big party at his house after the last day of college where he didn't know there was an exam. Uh, and then and John Cho really needs to use the bathroom and there's a line and John Cho forgets that backyards exist. So uh, instead, he goes to a right. balcony and pees off the balcony and Stifler's on a, a beach or on a, yeah, like a pool chair with a, with a woman and she wants to get out champagne, but instead she gets concussed when John Cho accidentally knocks a flower pot off the balcony and he pees on Stifler, but Stifler thinks it's some sort of thing that the woman is doing. And and yeah, that it, it grossed me out, but not as much only because if you're healthy, your urine is a sterile liquid. <laughs> and John Cho, I do believe, takes care of himself. <laughs> So this is what cracks me up, though. So in the first movie, he drinks beer that's got a load in it. And he's like, oh, oh." and then this movie gets pissed on for like a minute and a half. So he knows what cum tastes like, but he can't tell when he's being pissed on. He looks like the kind of freak who tastes who's tasted his own urine. He's a complicated man. 
Yeah, I yeah. don't know. No one understands. It's like, oh yeah, man, I, I this his... this this body temperatured, iron rich fucking champagne with no carbonation feels so good. Well, and it's Aquita. funny how much they focus on him and his reaction for a long time. Again, I think they 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 go at pains to set up these scenes where you could do it a bit, you could pick up the pace of it, do it a bit quicker, and not make it so labored. But then I think the movie might not even be an hour long if you did that. Yeah, true. If, if you cut all the setups in half, I don't think you would you would lose um, too much here. Oh, but but also this scene, this takes because the setup for this takes forever. But then the actual peeing scene takes forever because because he stops halfway through to talk to somebody <sighs> who comes out on the balcony and then resumes urinating and, and yeah. again implying that Stifler is just hanging out down there waiting for it to resume. And like you know, you know what you do? You could cut this down to a brief minute and a half by just having somebody drunk run out to the balcony and puke. Yeah. Right. I mean, granted, the getting peed on thing is a little funny because you get the reaction when he goes inside and he just says, I got pissed on. <laughs> that that is yeah. a little funny. Also, where did he get that Papa Legba shirt he's wearing throughout so much of this movie? Oh, well, I know. And, then, yeah. and then couldn't he find like another? Uh, I'm sorry, shirt not in the Papa Legba. That's Baron Samidi. I, I oh, got, yeah. got my my but personages also, mixed up. So, uh, random bit of trivia: that girl in the beginning um, that Jason Biggs is hooking up with. Did you recognize her at all? I felt like I should have, but I couldn't place it. So, if you're a Justified fan, that's Joel. That's a uh, Joel Carter. She plays Ava Crowder. And Justified, y'all, and she's fucking great in that show. I don't hmm. know what else she's done aside from Justified, but I was like, holy shit, it's Justified, girl. Ah, I mean, Ava Crowder. But this is what's funny, though, is that we get all this shit, you know, the fucking party, and they're like, well, we're lame. Are we those lame guys that hang out in our lame town? We're college men now. Blur. And then we get a phone call from Rapey Affleck, friends to women everywhere. Oh. Save the day. And even it's, you know, this is a callback to the first film where he recommended the Book of Love, I believe. And and this one, it's just so dumb. Like, have one last party with your friends before they're gone. And they try to make it like this moving kind of like big moment. And it just, it's not advice as as much as just something obvious. Because the first one, at least they had to like go and, and find something in this one, you know, they're figuring out what to do when he's like, Oh, I got a house. I don't know. I mean, it, like there's no, it, it's not difficult for them to all have the big rager at the beach house at the end. Yeah. If you have a place where you can like, you know, drink and fool around and party with impunity as a young person, you're all over that shit. If oh, yeah. like you're, if your fucking yes. uncle has like a half abandoned garage with a refrigerator, you're fucking there. <laughs> If you're that, fucking, it, it, they don't even need to be a refrigerator, man. It just needs yeah, to be exactly. like an empty space where you get left alone. But yeah, I mean, people will just come up out place. of nowhere. Yeah, a semi-cop proof yeah. place where you can fit more than eight people. That's a fucking party spot. Right, and uh, but I mean, it's yeah. I mean, the setup for these characters. I think you know something good about the first film that again is good here is not only you have the relationship between Jim, uh, played by Jason Biggs, and his dad Eugene Levy, but between Jim and uh, Michelle. And Michelle is played by Allison Hannigan. And they have a nice, weird kind of back and forth together. And it, it, that Jim is the guy that's hurt that their relationship was just a one night stand. And yeah, I, I think is I think that's a fun way to play it. And she's trying to give him advice. 
because, uh, of course, Nadia is back in town for the summer. Hey, Tim, how are you doing? And, you know, so he has to go. Aww. and Yeah, apparently uh, she's no longer an exchange student. She's just train. a world traveler. Yes, exactly. So this is the other thing that cracks me up, too, is that, like, so the Allison Hannigan shit is fun because not only does she, like, basically flat out say that, like, yeah, dude, you're fucking terrible at sex. Yes. Um, she's also like, yeah, you're not my first. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I... I love I love her accent in this because like she if Canada was a district in uh, in Minnesota that's her <laughs> that's her accent yeah fucking Minnesotwick <laughs> Toronto soda yeah <laughs> but uh today's show is brought to you by Epos Gaming Audio. With a comprehensive lineup of both wired and wireless headsets, gaming amplifiers, microphones, and webcams, Epos has everything you need to experience the power of audio. Like their H6 Pro lineup, which features two versions, an open or closed headset. The closed headset allows you to tap into exceptionally detailed audio and seals out ambient noise while the open version delivers natural, high-fidelity audio with an incredible soundstage. Both headsets include a magnetic detachable microphone and a sleek design that has no wild RBG configurations. Just good design. Listeners can save 15% by visiting www.eposaudio.com gaming and entering code EPOSFRIENDS15 at checkout. I don't know. Like I, I, I appreciated her expanded role in this, and apparently now she's a she's a counselor at Bandcamp, which I could totally see. Uh, like I never uh, like like that that is actually uh, often happens. The people who get the most out of those summer camps typically get invited to be counselors when they be, when they become uh, adults. Oh, yeah. uh, so I totally bought like that seemed that seemed accurate and insightful, which is not something I can say for the rest of this movie. Um, <laughs> And I do kind of like that everyone in band camp is kind of heightened because I was I was in in middle school and high school band. And it does. Strangely enough, it does attract certain personalities. Uh, and I even love that one kid where like when when uh, Jim sneaks on to the uh, again, lots of sneaking when you probably don't have to probably uh, he s- sneaks onto the into the camp. And there's that one kid who's like, hey, and wh- you can't bring food here because one time a bear came and like <laughs> that was so great. And I kept with, oh, well, they're going to do that. They're going to keep using the one time at band camp to be that one time something else with a B that never comes back, unfortunately. Um <laughs> But like it's just delightful, and and there and so let's talk about the trombone scene, because due to him doing a great bit of physical comedy and hitting his head on a bell, he gets totally disoriented, and because he's wearing a camp uh, uh, uniform that he stole from somewhere, um, the the heads of the camp assume he's this visiting musician who's supposed to do this musical showcase, I guess for parents of students of the camp, uh, and. I, I kept pivoting back and forth between, oh, yes, oh, no, throughout this scene, because it turns out there's a there's a there's a related camp that does like band for people with uh, people with like learning disabilities and like in, like and like like intellectual thing, like developmental issues. Um, and I will I will give them restraint for not horribly mocking people who have like neurological disorders. Um 
but when Jim gets on stage, he, they've been told that he's this guy, this trumpet virtuoso with a developmental disability named Petey. And, and he just, he does this, like, just blares <laughs> on the trumpet doing this silly dance. And it's an amazing bit of physical comedy. And I liked that everyone in the audience is completely supportive of him. <laughs> I, I just thought I just thought that was funny. Because, but the thing is, is like it wasn't feigned. Like they all honestly liked what he was doing and wanted to support him. And I kind of thought that that was like sweet. Um, and and so yeah, I like, remember. But the thing is, you don't need to go that far. I I guess you don't need to go that far from the gag because like the, what makes it really funny is just his physical comedy faking trying to play the trombone. The, right. the praise that he the unearned praise he gets is just kind of the icing on the cake right and i like i think the whole gag is that like even though it's supposed to be a kid who would like developmental disabilities the kid is supposed to be a virtuoso and then the, i think the punchline too is that some of that developmental disabilities fucking sucks at trombone um but it does come back later which i think is actually a pretty good gag but we'll get to that later yeah although they do end up throwing around the r word when it come when the joke comes back unfortunately right unfortunately which, but yeah, which was very it, common uh, at the time oh yeah also were a lot of bad stereotypes for example lesbians who may or may not be lesbians these there's well, they I'm both just gonna call this place so the mystery like, house. Yeah, I know, right? Like, I guess they're actually by then because they end up sleeping with Stifler. Um, I don't know. Not I necessarily. That because because oh, this is so this is where there's too many inciting incidences because when they go to the to the beach house for the summer, as somebody does like because the whole time I was wondering. So are their parents helping pay for this? And they mention in dialogue, oh, I'm not sure we four guys can afford this beach place for the whole summer. And he's, mm -hmm. oh, that's okay. I got a fifth person to buy in, although you're not going to like it. And that fifth person is Stifler. Oh, who, my God. Who has it in for Finch, who definitely is loaded, but he has it in for Finch because everyone now knows that Finch had sex with his mom. Um, but then... No sooner have they set up in the house that they then get jobs as bumbling house painters. It's like a Three Stooges short started. Yeah. And yet we get so little comedy from that. We just get this long, drawn-out fucking peep scene that I will admit was kind of funny when he was like, you know, the one-for-one one quid pro quo sex thing, you know? Um, that was funny, but I wish that would have gone further, honestly. The funny line <laughs> was that when it's on the TV radio, and he goes, grab his ass, son, you might like it. <laughs> oh yes, the I comedy trucker. Well, because this is kind of the equivalent in the first movie with uh, Jim on the webcam, right? It's something that's broadcast where everyone can right. hear it, so you can do all these weird cutaways to. Um, I mean, I like that even people with headsets at the fast food place can hear what's going on. Like yeah, they have these walkie-talkies, and and so, but they apparently they they use the wrong channel, so it's being picked up all over town. <laughs> It's a bit of a stretch, but I, you're right. I, I do like how absurd it gets, and that that Stifler is willing to to do one for the the team, sort of. Well, it's well, it's such a tortured setup because they're painting because like the house yes. from the outside, it looks like the monster's house. Um, <laughs> 
and but there are these two uh, these two young women who live there who are always like holding hands and giggling. So they assume, oh, well, they must be a lesbian couple. Um, and then when they go out to make the world's quickest fast food run, Stifler goes into the house to try to find proof that they're lesbians and finds a dildo because surely only lesbians would would have a, a, a sexual tool yeah. like that. Um, but penetrative yeah. sexual stimulation means lesbian. But mm. but the inside of the house, it's mm. gorgeous, and all the rooms are themed. And I wish this came back because one of the bedrooms is cowboy themed. Like everything yeah. in the bedroom is cowboy themed. It's like if Woody from the Toy Story movies had a bedroom, <laughs> it would be there. And they come back from their fast food run, so all the guys who went in to get Stifler, they all hide. And then like the women come in, and you know they've Jim's now got the dildo, and she uh, one of the women goes up to the drawers like oh no johnny west is missing and they assume that must be the the dildo's name so they go off and then they you know he puts it back in the drawer but then they come back upstairs see everyone hides again and then she puts this cowboy action figure on the table it's like oh we found johnny west he is my favorite collectible and that's like, what that okay i got an obsession with, with cowboys do you know how much comedy you could have driven by staying consistent to that character trait would, that she's obsessed with Wild West memorabilia? You at least get a ride cowboy joke. That's yes. A, yes. Yeah. yeah, there should have been like lasso rope tricks and tying yeah. people up and there's like all five freebies. In like but yeah, they get freebies. caught. Yeah, yeah. But then they get caught getting peeped on and and this is after they've like been weirdly undressing each other. Uh, and, and so it's like, okay, well we'll do something with each other, but you have to do stuff with each other. And there's this back and forth and it does not go. This scene could work if it just went a lot farther. Yeah, it, it does. It, I mean, and the end of it's kind of a gay panic joke, not as much as like the first Ace Ventura movie, but it oh, just yeah. sort of, there's a scene where, she says, oh, we'll do stuff, you do stuff, you know, and that, and someone, I don't know, all they do is, like, kiss, someone kisses Stifler, and Jim kisses Stifler, I think, and it was just a lot of people making, like, vomiting sounds in the scene, like, it's just very over the top, it's okay, they could have pushed it farther, you could have, um, I think what, what bugs me more is, like, the sort of payoff to the scene you get later, yeah. Yeah, and that's why where, yeah, where there's like a, in the end when they have they the, do the, the party. Big, yeah, they have the big final party and these two women show up and like, oh why were what's the point of bringing lesbians here? Like we can't get laid with lesbians. And he's like, Well, we never said we were lesbians. But they don't they don't then say we're bi or something, but then they both have sex with Stifler because I guess they like creepy homophobic guys. <laughs> Also, I think, like, the funny thing, not the funny thing, but, like, the sad thing is, like, I think that actually, like, Stifler's, like, behavior tracks with, like, the homophobia back then is that, like, oh, fucking, I'm so not gay, I'll suck your dick right now to prove it, bro. Yeah, you know what right, I mean? It's like, right. eh, that sounds like something I might have heard in high school. Um, well, well, that's well, that's the irony, is that anything that is sufficiently, any anything that is sufficiently masculine will eventually become uh homoerotic yeah exactly yeah and even if it didn't start there it will end up going there but yeah it's it's so 
it's 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 endlessly frustrating and i will and i will give i will give the movie credit because like when stifler first breaks in to the house to search for what he calls lesbian artifacts um finch <laughs> like you know riley says yeah our, our our dumb homophobic friend is about to get us all fired <laughs> and like i i'm glad that the movie at least recognizes that what is motivating him is homophobia and not but and finch has like the one just moment gets, of like maturity when he's like, yeah, you know, not all women. He's like, not all fucking female friends are lesbians. You know that, right? Yeah, and like, it's it's what it's just it's 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 frustrating the way the, that this whole segment and then the way it gets a bow gets tied on it in the end. Hey everyone, it's David Petrangelo, one of your hosts from Remember 64, the podcast that goes on the totally tubular journey through the Nintendo 64's library. Join us as we dive into classics from Nintendo, Rare, and into the early days of polygons and 3D worlds. Yes, we're covering it all from top of the charts down to the dingy basement and everything in between. We may even find a few hidden gems. Ooh, intriguing. Remember 64, only on the Tokyo Beat Network. And the movie's like full it. of things like that. It is. Well, yeah, like, you, get, like, you, get, you get Stifler's little brother who just says the same stuff Stifler does, but since it's coming out of a kid, it's supposed to be funnier, but he... It's not. It's not, and it's just, like, too much. It, it's like uh, the Eddie Murphy's Nutty Professor 2, The Clumps, where you have that, what feels like a 30-minute scene of them at the dinner table. Right. And it's, like, it's too much. Like, they're well, better know, in one or two scenes. So talking about punch-up and missed opportunities... When, like, Stifler has to care for his, like, brother in this environment, like, because Stifler has no arc. Well, his arc, his arc is he's get, he's not getting laid, and now he's getting laid with two women at once. That's his arc. What really, sh what should have happened is that he suddenly has to have, be, have a more parental role, and he he needs to mature and realize, oh, shit, I act like this. I need to help my younger brother grow up. Like, yeah, right. he, it's, he, it's not he all should about have had, me. like, he can still be a frat bro type guy, but like, I would, I wish he had grown a little bit. Well, As I'm a result, I don't know why I'm because, watching him. Yeah. I'm glad you mentioned that Thrasher because they had cut all these scenes where Stifler did have an arc. Oh, and, and they tested poorly. So there was two, um, oh. I couldn't find the DVD, but I used to have it back in the day. So I, I remember it pretty well. There's two big sequences they cut from the film and they had to do a, a lot of reshoots and um, which the reshoot part isn't uncommon, but it's just the the ending of the test screening went so poorly they had to change a whole lot. Uh, two things. One is in the beginning where all the characters are being set up, there's a scene where they go back to their high school and they have what's supposed to be a uh, emotional scene where they see their own lockers and it's, well, we've changed so much in one year. It's been... Like, it's a scene led by Ty, uh, Thomas Ian Nicholas, who plays Kevin, and it's just this sort of sappy American graffiti kind of <laughs> this scene that just doesn't work for American Pie 2. The bigger part, uh, or Stifler-related, is Stifler had a dad, and his dad was played by Chris Penn, and there's all these scenes uh, about what an I... asshole Stifler's dad is, uh. and they kind of have a heart-to-heart -heart at one point. Like, it's interesting stuff, and then Stiff was like, I'm an asshole because my dad's an asshole because something happened to his dad or something. Yeah, and maybe I can break the cycle, right? It's basically, and is it does it quite work for American Pie 2? I mean, it's not what people are expecting. It's a bit on the nose. There is a lot of it. 
and um, the test audiences hated it. But there was Stifler's brother in those scenes just a little uh, bit. So they added him all over the place uh, at the end as part of the big um, changes to the movie. And, like, I don't know if the movie would have been better, but at least it would have given Stifler something different to do. Yeah. It felt like maybe something that was, should have been its own. I don't maybe would have been in more of a... a Goodwill hunting sort of movie or sort of right. more introspective. But also on the subject of Stifler, again, like I just don't buy him as friends with these guys. Like he's kind of like the jock, like Jason Biggs and Finch. Like they're not like the nerds, but they're definitely not like I just I just don't buy. Like it just doesn't seem like these guys would hang at all. And like granted, when well, you're in high I mean, school and when you're that age, you have friends that you totally wouldn't be friends with. They're just around. Yes. But like Well, they don't the, well they're not they're not friends with him. In the first movie, they only hang out with him because they want to go to the party house. And in this movie, they only hang out with him because they need his money to rent the place that they still need summer jobs to rent. Right. Yeah. I think that they just need to get Sean William Scott in there. And, you know, that could have been the other arc is Stifler realizing, oh, I don't have any friends. I just right. have stuff that people want. Exactly. I think there's a bit of that in those deleted scenes, too, come to think of it. It's been a while. But, yeah, that he's being taken advantage of, and it's not like everyone is just using him, basically, for the the cool houses. Which, I mean, I I certainly knew people like that in in school. It's not a a fake thing. I I fucking grew up on the Cape. That was, like, everything. (laughs) Mm, Right, right. Uh, We we do have a a plot twist that, um, you know, they do give the women not... I wouldn't say that much more to do, but it, it's nice kind of the twist that the, it's all building up to, uh, as uh, Jim's father said, the one that got away. It <laughs> is, uh, Nadia is back in town, right? And um, and when Jim finally meets up with Nadia, he realizes, oh, I'm really in love with uh, with the band camp um, with Michelle. Well, it's well, a whole thing, because when he glues his hand to his genitals and they get it removed... Uh, it's going to be like the, the doctor tells him like, well, it's going to be like two weeks to heal, but Nadia will be back before those two weeks. And he's wearing this weird gauze diaper and in something that has never happened in any universe. He's like, well, I can't, I can't wait that long. Surely there must be something you could do. And then the doctor hands him free of charge, a tube of magic ointment and says, <laughs> well, this will shave a few days off and happily gives him medicine for free. Um, <laughs> in their magic fantasy hospital that they go to. And and but Jim realizes that well I I want to like like I I Nadi is into me but you know I I ejaculated in my pants twice the first time I I got to be better at, at making love and he's been going to the band camp Michelle the band camp girl for like advice and like she's basically been training him in the arts of love and some scenes that are that are actually are kind of funny and there's a there's a decent ish montage involving it. But yeah, when he finally gets Nadia alone in an unmanned lighthouse, which is a disaster waiting to happen, um, uh, he realizes in that moment, oh, I, I don't love you. And as much as like I love Michelle and as much as I regret it, I got to go and, and, and see her right now. No, you take your shot. You you will regret not having sex with Nadia in the next 10 years. You take that shot. And then you go running to the the woman you love. <laughs> but I mean, don't you don't you think in a, a way though it that this shows some sort of maturity? I mean, certainly had. I 
I didn't a moment read it as in maturity. my twenties. You, no, you don't. You don't think it's maturity? I mean, it's okay to say no. No, no. I read it. I I read it more more as fear. So like like him him having sex with Nadia would somehow sabotage uh, a, a further relationship with somebody. So I. I, I thought the, the same thing flashed through my head. I was like, well, you can have your cake and eat it, too. Um, but then I was thinking, I was like, all right, so I think teenage Alex might have been more of a romantic. So I would probably be like, no, I have to go to the girl I love. Um, but I think like hindsighty late 20s, Alex would have been like, oh, you could have sex with Nadia, too. And Allison Hannigan. And then I think, you know, the in between, which is what I ever you want to call whatever I am now is going to say, like, no, be faithful to the chick that you're into. But also the whole fallacy of, like, oh, i got to get some practice in to be any good. You're right, mm. just face it. You're fucking 8, 19, 20 years old. You're going to be bad at sex till you're, you're gonna like, be bad fucking anyway. mid to yeah. late 20s, yeah. okay? At yeah. best. And beyond, and beyond that, like, it, it, it forgets that so much of what makes sex work is when pe- two people know how to communicate. Yeah, go down on her. There you go, boom, done. Yeah, you read the goddamn book. That's right? true, yeah. He did read the book, and uh, that, I mean... Right, and I don't know. You do get um, Natasha Leone as, as Jessica in in a few scenes here. There's one oh, she where she has the the worst line in this whole series so far. I kind of like the bit where her and Stifler look at each other and they're like, "Nah." Like, <laughs> yeah, I, I, I thought funny. that was a good sort of simple moment, and she has the line about like, "Oh, women, uh, th- their numbers of who they've slept with, they 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 lie about it, and the guys pump it up." I think that That's was a cute scene. Stupid. You think it's the stupid? same ratio? Oh yeah. no, no! I mean the the number three thing is fucking stupid. The scene itself is all right, but the whole number thing, oh. yeah, shit like that, just is fucking. I, it didn't exist in my circle growing up. I don't know about like, anyone else. Within within the context of the movie, I think it worked, but like, th- it's so funny. Like, in all honesty, she and Stifler should have hooked up, and they should have both realized, oh, the sex was great. We hate each other. <laughs> yeah, and like it should have been them reaching some sort of weird friends with benefits or yeah. enemies with benefits situation. I wonder but if it like, was written but, that way originally and then one of the actors refused to do it. Oh, oh either that or it was one of the things that didn't test well for all I know. But, Could, but yeah, when she's introduced and people are like working in that shop. And this is the other thing. Everyone seems to be working like everyone who has a summer job also has a summer job in this same Great Lakes community. <laughs> but she it's a shop that apparently only sells 60s fashions and afro wigs for some reason. Right. Because I guess that's what the prop department had. But they mentioned the wigs in dialogue. But like when she sh- when she meets everybody at the beach house, I think it is. Or, or no, at the party. It's the Stifler's party at his place. She, she says something along the lines of, oh, well, that's as, that's as exciting as a high colonic in Tijuana. That's the joke you write to fill up the page until you write the real joke. Yeah, exactly. That's, that's the, the, the spodoinkle, you know, I can eat a three-fold <laughs> word. <laughs> right. It, um, I'm reminded on, the, at least when they wrote Star Trek The Next Generation, they were told anytime they had to have a scientific explanation to solve something just right, we have to tech the tech. And they had... Mm-hmm. They had a Star Trek like science expert on staff that just filled that in with science terms that sounded realistic enough. That's why you got a lot of a lot of discussions of phase variance and uh, reversing yes. polarity. Reversing yeah. polarity is my favorite because that doesn't even what does that even mean? It's like that. Well, that's what I need love. to that track that running. through the bicompartmentaler. 
Mm-hmm. Well, that, that's what I loved about the Pertwee era of Doctor Who is that uh, Terrence Dix, who was who wrote a lot of those episodes, kind of realized, well, I don't like having like a techno babble's not fun or dramatic. It just fills up a page. So he he worked it down to a science is that all techno babble just became reverse the polarity of the neutron flow. And, th- <laughs> and whenever whenever anything happened, it would all the doctor would always say, well, I'm going to reverse the polarity of the neutron flow. And then that was it. It worked. And also, if you have a rudimentary understanding of biology and science, science you'll know if neutrons ain't flowing, shit ain't working. So it works. <laughs> that just that makes perfect sense. That'd be like saying his blood isn't moving. Like, oh, shit, get him some blood medicine. <laughs> blood medicine. <laughs> yeah, there was some scene early on in the, um, in the remake series from uh, around this time of uh, Battleship, Battlestar Galactica, and he had Edward James almost as the captain. And at the end of one scene, he just screams, cut the wire, and they cut to commercial. And on the commentary, they just say that's something Edward James almost, like, uh, made up. <laughs> and afterwards, they're like, well, that, that's really clever. You know, what, what wire were you thinking of? And he's like, I don't know. It just came out. <laughs> so so we need to get a bunch of footage from the new Battlestar Galactica and make it look all grainy and black and white and then recut it as the silent film Battlestar Potemkin. Nice. You could, yeah, I'm sure, you know, in the, the pilots and the later scenes, people do run downstairs. So there's a potential. <laughs> nice. Something with the baby happens in the, in yeah, the pilot Yeah, put movie. the untouchables in there, you know. Well, no, mm. what we need to do is is when we get to the baby, the baby carriage on the stairs scene, we just use digital compositing to put baby Yoda in his hover crib going down the nice. stairs. It writes itself. It really not does. unlike this movie. Yeah, I know. <laughs> right. I but, mean, t- talk about... Speaking of this movie, when it came out in 2001, I mean, Universal was doing really well this year. You had Mummy Returns, Fast and Furious, Jurassic Park 3. You had this one. You had the um, other stuff in the top of the charts. You had Hannibal, the new Silence of the Lambs oh, movie. Yeah. Oh, directed yeah. by Ridley Scott, someone yeah. we just were talking about before. The These show. are all very early 2000s movies, like... Yeah, like they want to, I don't know, there's something, the 2000s like to have a little bit of, or the aughts, I guess, from 00 to 09. Uh, you know, the 90s was really, I, I found everything really like overlit and a lot of the edges were sanded off. And you yeah. would get some sort of grittiness in the early 2000s, but so much of it was informed uh, after September 11th. That the stuff right before September 11th, like like this, American Pie 2, feels like it's from the Twilight Zone. <laughs> yeah, it really is from another time. Like, it's like everyone's fucking, they either look like they just came out of Abercrombie and Fitch or like yes. all their clothes have like bad tattoo parlor flash on it. Like all the shorts have like fucking flames or like a heart or like a dragon on it or some stupid shit like that. You know, it makes me. It does make me wonder what would American media have and fashion have been like if oh, if 9/11 yeah. had never happened. And and in all, and you know, that's actually something. There are so many like alternate universe stories about what if this war came out differently, or what if the U.S. didn't enter World War II. I, I'm not sure I've ever seen a sci-fi story that takes a serious look at what could have happened if 9/11 had been foiled. Interesting, yeah. I don't know. And this just, this just, oddly enough, this did make me think about that when I was watching it. It, it put that idea in my head. 
Yeah, well, I if just, you get something from American Pie 2, maybe it'll be an interesting science fiction story by Thrasher. I mean, oh, we'll get back to the show, so. but speaking of 9-11, something popped up that was a real, that everyone thought it was an IMDb rumor, but I guess it was real. It was confirmed by Dana Carvey himself. They were filming, uh, he was oh. filming Masters of Disguise, and he was in the Turtle Man outfit when the news came on about 9-11 and they had to, they did a memorial thing on set, of course, but he couldn't get out of the turtle outfit and makeup. Uh, yeah, there's been some, I be, there's been, I believe some clarification on that. Well, Cause what wasn't, it, it wasn't technically on 9-11, but it was the first yes. day of shooting, which was I, like right almost immediately after. afterwards. Sure. And just the visual to that is so bizarre. You could totally do a movie about the making of that movie, I think. I think a movie about the making of Masters of Disguise would be, is a lot more interesting than Masters of Disguise. But, but still get Dana Carvey to play himself. No, I never sure. heard of this movie before in my life. Oh, well, so, uh, so I mean, what, oh, after SNL, Dana Carvey had this surgery that went wrong. Oh, no. Yeah, yeah he, he had started doing movies uh, but his film career never really took off because he had a he had a, a heart condition that he'd apparently had for a while but it finally got diagnosed and he had uh, open heart surgery to correct it but then the doctor performed like malpractice and so he spent the next few years oh. both in court suing his old surgeon mm -hmm. but then also having a series of procedures to correct the damage to correct the original problem and correct the damage his surgeon did I kind of remember the previews from this. He's a little turtle guy. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Don't was... don't watch the movie. It's no, a movie at gonna. war with itself. You can tell when whole chunks of the movie are missing. Uh, the, oddly enough, the only thing that's really good is Brent Spiner as the villain. Yeah, he plays. Yeah, I saw he was in the cast. Yeah, he plays a Bond villain. But what <laughs> I love about it is that he plays his Bond villain character completely straight, and that makes it hilarious. No shit. And he just has great lines such as, you fools, that's not Bo Derek. <laughs> nice. Um, yeah, I remember but, seeing this in the corner of my eye and it just did not look very good. Yeah, don't, don't, don't. We could do a commentary for it, maybe. But hey. um, I would be I up for that. But uh, so so something that I want to talk about. Um, so and, and I because in my in my memory, like in 2001, in my memory, a lot of stuff happened simultaneously for a, a multiple reasons not just because of you know the, you know the cloud of 9-11 hanging all over that like in in my in my memory all of 2001 happened within like one long weekend um and so i i uh, at one point i did have to look up exactly when this movie was released because there was a, a there there's a lot there was a lot of like Islamophobic stuff that came out after 9-11 and yep. there's a scene in this in this movie where one of the characters is trying to call his girlfriend who's studying abroad in Spain or or he's waiting for her to call him or something and there's some mix up with the phones and instead he gets a call from somebody else and the whole time oh god this is this is where the 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 shitty Islamophobic uh scene is going to be but then it's not. It's it's the person on the other end of the line is speaking actual Arabic and is not like playing it up. Now I don't uh, know it's much. Not like they were playing it up. They were like Allah Akbar at the end. Does he say Allah Akbar? Yeah, he's speaking Does English he? the whole time, but he says Allah Akbar. Yeah. Oh shit! He's like, I is this my telephone call? It's pretty bad. 
because okay, did we watch different versions of the movie? Because the one I watched, it's actual like Arabic, and they don't say that. Uh, I watched whatever version was on HBO Plus or what? Let me see. Okay, here. I watched the one that was on the Plex. Yeah, the one was but, unrated. Maybe the other one wasn't. Um, yeah. Well, because because yeah, okay. So I guess because so, so it's it's not. At least the version I saw, I guess that the um, the unrated one, maybe they changed it. Maybe they changed it to something else. Yeah, because like because Chris, of nine eleven or something. Chris Klein is like trying to talk to him. He's like, I'm trying to talk to my girl. And he's like, I'm sorry. Who is this? Da, da, da. Like uh, they have like a tete a tete. Okay. Yeah. So the the one I the version I saw the scene is completely different. Yeah. Uh, and there's a language barrier, and it's actual Arabic. And I couldn't make out much of what they were saying, but I did. They did say my love several times. So I guess it's another romantic phone call. Yeah. That's so. And this is the problem with releasing so many different cuts of films. Yeah. It makes it very difficult to critique the film because, like, they're all in a sense equally real. But which was the one that people were actually trying to make? Yeah, exactly. Well, because I was then, pleasantly surprised yeah. by the version of that scene I got that they you actually had someone speaking the real language and they didn't seem to be mocking that person. But the one you saw, that's some that's some racist bullshit. Right. But I mean, look at the, you know, there, at the time there's so many unrated stuff on on DVD. Uh, you know, mainly due to the success of American Pie's unrated, as people assume that means director's cut, but it often doesn't. But sometimes it did, uh, and and not only that, it's like what the ver- what's the version, like like uh, like you're saying, Alex, what's the version they air on TV, or what's the version that is widely available in public? Maybe you can only get the R-rated version of American Pie two from the the Apple Store. I'm just making stuff yeah, up. Exactly. I have no idea, right? But it's like which one of those cuts is the cut that survives? The cut that most people actually saw, which was probably the theatrical version, uh, until you know you get to a point where the home video stuff does a lot better. The yeah, there's also there's like a cable edit that is completely different from what was in theaters or on home video. Well, sure, you want to go there. I mean, there's that. There's the the airplane cuts, right? Um, oh yeah. There's. I I was surprised. I tried a trial of a streaming service just because I sometimes will will just look for how the, the different stuff works, and it was for Pureflex, which is owned by Sony, but it's sort of the faith based oh. um, movies, and they yeah. have versions of regular movies where like stuff is cut out from Sony's catalog. I'm like, that's really surprising. Like I was not. I despise that. That is so disrespectful to the people who made those movies. Isn't that they try to do that with Clean Flicks, right? Um. Yes, but Pure Flicks could do it because they're all owned by Sony. But anyway, um, I think Uh, it's their own way because it's all Sony shows, right? And so they must have some kind of. I imagine you would get the directors. I'm not sure legally how that would work, but yeah, there is a very good documentary uh, called Clean Flicks about a, a. a movie rental place in Utah that did that did that, but then there are also scandals and, and other stuff. Um, anyway, really interesting documentary worth a watch. I think it's been out of print for a bit now, but if you can find it, it's uh, it's good. You know, all all that feeds into a, a phenomenon that the internet has also made worse. Where there, there there are a lot of people who seem to believe they are entitled to the exact version of a work of art that they want and not the version of the work of art that was actually made. <laughs> I, that could mean a lot of things. What are you talking about here? Fan fiction well, well, or fan well, edits? No, not, not or fan what? fiction, just, just that, you know, like, like uh, uh, fan edits are a part of this phenomenon. There's also a lot of, like, there's also a lot of, like, digital artists on the internet who they will, they will oh. make 
a picture, but then we'll also make multiple versions of that picture. And I guess you just pick the one that is the one that is real to you, which conceptually is interesting. But at the same time, it's like, okay, you made eight versions of this picture. If you had used that time and effort to make one version of this picture, that one version would be better than all eight of these combined. Sure. With the director's cuts, I think, like, Red River ruined me because for years and years and years, Red River was only available in a 130-minute version. And everyone's like, this is the definitive Howard Hawks' fucking director's cut. And it turns out, if you actually know Howard Hawks and what he's all about, he doesn't want a 130-minute anything. So it was actually the 115-minute cut that was Howard Hawks' preferred version. Mm. They just figured the longer one is the director's cut. But Howard Hawks is all about getting shit going. So now I don't so know what this this movie, it's it's a little over an hour and a half long. It feels like it's two hours long. Oh, God, yeah. yeah it's like, it feels cut, like it has five acts. Could have cut ten minutes, could have done more. I mean, again, <laughs> like we were kind of getting at, you probably should have set the whole thing at the beach house to make it so you're not in the suburbs again. Who cares if they're having pizza at the same place? Right, yeah, like, they, they this, get this busted at the party, then they all look at each the, other and say, beach house. Yeah, but, you know, and it, it ends with them kind of having a heartfelt conversation at the beach and they all I realize guess. they've matured and that's the real clarity uh, of this. But they're all still friends. And, and, you know, it's 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 actually it's a nice scene that this movie does not earn, uh, especially since two of the characters have undergone absolutely no growth before having this heartfelt conversation. <laughs> also, the scene where they all like talk around uh, talk around the fire pit at the beach. One of them is already out there, and the rest go to join them. And it does something which it's like a fil- it's like a filmmaking thing, which I always notice when it happens. But in this film, it was a death of a thousand cuts. I just hated it. Normally, it's just huh, filmmaking's weird. Where <laughs> because water is inherently dramatic, the person who's already there, they're shot so that the background, you get to see the waves crashing against the shore. And then all the rest of the gang come in from the background uh, so that they can approach him like without being seen. So he's not just waiting for the looking at them and waiting for them to show up. But that also but they're coming from the house, which is up from the shore, meaning that they had to leave the house, go all the way around, walk up the beach, and then approach him from the way. <laughs> <laughs> They're just getting their steps in. Yeah, no, I don't yeah. know. It's it's a, it's a little persistence forced. of vision. You know. Yeah, yeah. You, it is nice that you get Jennifer Coolidge popping up at the very end at Stifler's mom, and it's just a brief scene in a car, but she sells the hell out of it, just like she did in the first film with like her one or two scenes. And yeah, and. She, and she hooks, yeah, she hooks with Finch, who, who at that point, Finch has realized he can't build his romantic life out of this obsession with an older woman who he admits he can only have a disturbing relationship with. Right. But then they still hook up at the end. All right. And also, I have a, I have a fucking Finch question. Does he just appropriate every culture in this movie? Because at one point he's got yeah. like a fucking hat on. Another point he's got like fucking fucking the like prayer beads another one he's just got this like fucking mary and barry robe but like what the fuck is going it's, on here he's like he's yeah, like steven seagal the nerd <laughs> it's weird because like he's 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 we learned that he's like yeah because when when he comes back he's speaking japanese and we find out that basically he has had 
romantic because my thought was oh well he's been studying abroad and he's been sort of picking up a lot of these things but apparently not he's just been hooking up with women from all over the world but then he always like tries to learn something so like he dated a japanese woman so he taught himself japanese and all this stuff and got into tantra but when he says that he's also wearing a shirt that's like got sanskrit on it right yeah it is it is bizarre and they don't try they don't try to make it goofy enough and the whole the whole tantric subplot comes to nothing because like he's been practicing tantra and you think it's going to go somewhere because there's a moment where he's watering a plant and he almost orgasms yeah because he realizes he's trained his body to exist in a perpetual tantric state and that's when the movie decides to stop messing with it right and also After he movie- looks at the tantric book that's in Stifler's mom's fucking bedroom remember so like yeah, it's at not the end, something you could, he picked up on his travels. It's something right. he saw in Stifler's mom's room. You could just have Stifler's mom roll over and be like, "Oh, Finch, I guess you saw my summer reading or something like that." Mm, yeah, right? no, that would have been nice. That's such to an get. easy. One. It's, a, it's right there. It's a freebie. Would have been nice freebie. to get a, a payoff. And I mean, it, it is. I mean, it just shows him. I think how how fake he is and how he's trying too hard doing all the different uh, religious and cultural accoutrements on him, and and yet, I mean, yeah, he's not as it also just feels like the actor is trying a little bit too hard like i I liked it more in the first movie and this one i don't know yeah he's not particular he's just weird yeah i always thought it'd be funnier if you again if you had like like sherman doing this or something where he's like trying all these different things in the background and it's a it's a punchline right like one scene he's got like a fucking afro wig the next scene he's got like prayer beads you know like i just to give these other characters some fucking dimension or something like that. I don't know. It just is like to be that prominent and to be that nothing of a line. It just doesn't work. It just, and I'm glad, I, I'm glad you mentioned the tantric thing. I mean, cause the joke that was all over the place, not, not joke really, but I mean, it was on those late night talk shows like Leno and stuff was about stain having, he would stain in the press would talk about, he was did tantric sex all the time. Well, well, he talked about that in the press once in a once. casual interview, just that, yes. like, that, oh, yeah, my, my wife and I, we experimented with tantric sex, tantric sex. And, like, he, it was just, he just, like, he didn't go into detail. He just mentioned that that was something that they were trying as part of but their sex life. But that was in stand-up up comedian okay. bits for years. Yeah. Also, it's, I mean. It's also, it's also in one week, the Bare Naked Lady song that's in the first American Pie. This like, is, like, also the period of, like, time when, like, you would hear, like. If you worked in a restaurant or at a bar for years, you would always have, like, some lame fucking guy in their middle life crisis being like, you know, I'm really into, you know, tantric sex positions and, uh, car, you know, fucking Indian massage techniques. Like, oh, you're, what you're saying is that you're into sex. Very novel. I'm sure no one's ever <laughs> fucking thought of that before, genius. You're, you're, you're talking to a chick at a bar and you're saying, oh, I'm into, you know, I'm really into sex. It's like, whoa, shit. Whoa, so is everyone else, buddy. Not a novel concept. So- so to bring it back to Jennifer Coolidge, who comes back at the end as, as Stifler's mom, um, there's there's this, there, you know, in the mo- in the first movie, she's only just referred to as Stifler's mom, and it's the same thing here. So when Finch sees her at the very end, you know, he asks, oh, I gotta know, what is your name? It's Janine. Like, it's like this, you know, film noir, they do all the film noir stuff. And then, you know, the final shot of the film, if as I recall, is uh, at least the version I saw is is Finch having sex with Stifler's mom in her car on the beach, and you know it's all oh, Janine's like no 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 call me Stifler's mom 
The, he's like, yo, Stifler's mom. And the car's rocking like crazy. And all like, and, and you know, again, yeah, yeah. You know you can only have a fucked up relationship with this woman. You're just proving how fucked up it is. <laughs> Since there's more of these movies, your life better be destroyed. <laughs> also, the they fucking film. it ends with a Lemonhead's cover of Mrs. Robinson, which they already did in Wayne's World 2, to much better fucking yeah. degree. Yeah. It's 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 one of those things like like I would like if there had been a context of oh well I can't have a relationship with this woman I'm fine using her for sex well that's a sort of character angle but this just it just seems such it's like such a backtrack I mean it's a very teenage boy move yeah but uh... I mean it it as a note to end the movie on it does sort of fit the tone of everything else is that the most creative thing should they have done more with Jennifer Coolidge yeah probably but also. But... I feel like using the line, it tracks with what a teenage boy would do, is like you can only get away with that so many times before that in and of itself becomes problematic. You know what I mean? No, it's like once that's the punchline for excusing bad behavior, it's like, okay, well, yeah, it is dumb teenage boy shit, but we can't fucking Well, say I'm not going to call him having sex with Stifler's mom bad behavior, at least not on like on his part. No, it's, it's just not, dumb but, at this yeah. point. But when you but, say but it, it that many but, times, it's kind of something. Yeah, it's just, it's just, she, she, it's, it's just so, like, I, I'll admit, like, a lot, like, her behavior in the first film kind of came off as creepy. Like, I, I feel like Stifler's mom gives me the vibe of somebody who hasn't waited for her partners to be 18 years old. <laughs> it's, it's just a bit, oh, no, it's more than a bit. It, it, it is pandering to end it yeah. in that way, and it would have been more interesting had she not come back for a few films and then come back in another one, so it was more of an impact. But, um... The American Pie series, if nothing else, likes hitting the same notes over and over again. And uh, I, I'm sure there'll be more um, bizarre, problematic stuff to talk about next week when we talk about American <laughs> Wedding. So, the third film in the series. Um, so, let's go and uh, give the film a rating. Is it a sequel, yes, or a sequel, no? American Pie 2, you know, I enjoy it more than the first, and I like the first one. So, I guess by default, this has to be sequel, yes. <laughs> um, but I, I think, yeah, you could get away with watching this movie and not watching the first one, and I think you'd be all right. Yeah, oddly enough, yeah, you don't need any of you don't need any foreknowledge of the first movie for this. <laughs> Thrasher, it might make sequel, some of the guests yes. seem fresh. It might enhance the experience. Yeah, you're right. The so Thrasher sequel, yes or sequel, no? I. I liked this less than the previous film, which I already did not like. I'm going to have to give it a sequel. No, there's there's not enough of any good thing in here. And there were some parts that I laughed. There were some parts that I that, that worked. I love the physical comedy. I when when um when Jim uh and Jennifer like or no, Michelle, when Jim and Jennifer pretend to date to keep Nadia away and then have a fake breakup argument so that Jim is now free to hook up with Nadia. I thought that was like, I, they're, they're terrible acting doing the fake breakup. I thought yeah. was hilarious. I, I wouldn't be surprised if a lot of that was improvised. So much of it seemed off the cuff and had well, these extra beats. You don't normally get in a written when, scene. When she said, call me by like, say my name, bitch, that was improv in the first one too. So I wouldn't yeah. be surprised if like the reference to anal sex or something was ref was was improv in this as well. 
is you can't go around having the biggest dick I've ever known. And like, it's like, it's just, it's that, that work, that works. The physical comedy works, but nothing else works. And it's too long and it's too complicated. And there's too many inciting incidences. And there's some stuff that, cause like sometimes I'll watch something dated and I'll be like embarrassed. And sometimes I'll watch something dated and be like, Oh God damn it. And this had a lot of, Oh God damn it moments for me. <laughs> And Alex. Um, yeah, this had a few more laughs, I think, than the first one. But again, I wasn't a big fan of the first one. And I can't say the same for this. I am giving it a sequel no. Um, there's, like like Thrasher was saying, there's some good bits. Allison Hannigan, uh, Jason Big stuff is a little sweet. And there's some actual humor there. But, like, again, I'm just like, this doesn't represent anything. It doesn't stand for anything. I don't feel like... You know, if I, you know, like I'm trying to like pass on like uh, like the essence of my generation to the next generation, I'm not going to be like, you know what? Growing up in the late 90s was like American Pie. Nope. Nope. We're skipping that one. Um, we're going to watch fucking, I don't know, Gus Van Zandt movie. <laughs> but yeah, I don't know. This is just not for me. I don't think it really stands for anything or has a lot of funny things to say. It's just kind of uh, just kind of a unenthusiastic retread of other sex comedies that have come before with less results. I will say, yes, that that Nadia is revealed to have a type and her type are clueless doofuses, which is why she's super into Jim. And, you know, Shermanator has a lot of scenes and she hooks up with Sherman, the Shermanator, because she likes, she thinks him doing the Shermanator bit is cute. And I, it upset me that when like they hook up, they play an off-brand version of the Terminator stick. I know. Yeah, the, yeah. the beginning. And it's the first just infuriating. Like you didn't same. even try to make this sound like the Terminator. You are you are banking on the audience not being able to accurately remember an iconic movie theme. Well, not just that, but like the first American Pie made hundreds of millions of dollars. Surely you could spend a little of that to get the rights for the Terminator music for a scene <laughs> and throw a bone. And, and all you need is the dun, 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 dun. Yeah. You don't need the whole thing. You only use that part anyway. I like the bit of comedy where they're about to hook up, they run up the stairs and she's like, oh no, the robots are going to get me or something. Like that was sort of cute. Oh, oh, oh yeah, he's like, come with me if you want to live. But shouldn't it be come with me if you want to come or orgasm or right. something? Right. Or, or if you about, want some yeah, like Schwarzenegger to like cameo as like her, her uncle. Or something like that. How are you doing in the country now? That'd be funny. Yeah. Yeah. You call yourself a Shermanator? Let me me tell you how you get the women. Uh, You employ one in your house as a housekeeper for several years, and then you have an affair with her and have a child with her. Yeah. That happened, right? I'm not. I'm not. Yeah, yeah, it it totally happened. Yes, it did happen. My muscles. It's okay because I'm dead between the legs. So, um, Maria, she meant nothing to me. Don't worry, you won't move. The soundtrack is very much of its time, but there was a song that I hadn't heard in years, which was Everywhere by Michelle Branch in one of the montages that sounds like every year, everywhere to me. I mean, that one, I just, I had not thought of that in a long time. So, Michelle Branch. To hear that on um, Michelle Branch sounds like it could have been a guest band on season three of Twin Peaks. Yeah. <laughs> Featured music by Michelle Branch. Uh, anyhow, Branch. Michelle Branch. Let's. Uh, we still got to talk about what you're watching on this show. 
as we keep moving on. Stay on target. Uh, we uh, what have I been watching? Oh, um, so uh, it's not Spike TV. They haven't been around for years. Vice TV is what I was thinking of. They have a show called Icons where they talk about um, kind of the making of different movies and some behind the scenes stuff. And they're doing a series now on the initial batch of the. Uh, they talk about the older Marvel movies, but specifically from Iron Man through Avengers is kind of what they're covering over a series of six episodes. And it's really interesting. They talk to Lou Ferrigno. They um, they talk to kind of supporting actors that weren't in the movies that much, but were willing to have some stories. You know, it's not coming right from Disney. So uh, to hear kind of blunt thoughts on what now are kind of older movies. I mean, it feels weird saying that, but back when Avengers came out, oh, there was only like six movies yeah. in that phase one sequence or whatever the hell it was, right? And then like now they announce what, like 50 movies every year and yeah, TV shows and, and everything that ties into each other somehow. Sometimes they announce Star Wars movies they have no intention of actually making. <laughs> Which they just, um, yeah, I guess we can do that. But anyway, how this icon show is uh, on Vice TV, it's cool, and you can watch some of it for free. I think with the with the mobile app or the Roku app, one of them, it gives you like free thirty minute patches where you can passes where you can watch stuff. And there there's some interesting stuff in there. They also have a series on Star Wars and a series on um, Fast and the Furious movies and The Simpsons. So kind of eclectic oh, cool. as to what stuff they cover. So you can kind of pick the topic you like and. Uh, see him talking about how the how all that stuff changes but yeah you were mentioning star wars stuff i guess we can do a quick sequel news segment anyone else see that they did a, yeah. a star wars celebration kind of the premier star wars um thing convention i can't even use my words today <laughs> uh they announced three new star wars movies however they've announced as thrasher was implying have announced three, at least three live action films before that never even got made. Uh, so, I don't know. What do you think about this Thrasher? Well, well let, let me just get Star Wars doing get again. This. Sorry. Yeah, yeah. Let's. I guess we can give context. Uh, they announced they're going to do three movies. One of which Daisy Ridley is going to come back, and it's going to be her character. I think like ten years later after uh, the episode years nine. Later. Fifteen years later trying to rebuild the Jedi Academy, which seems to be the plot of nearly every one of the novels in the 90s. Yeah. um, One was about, like, when the Jedi are first being, like, the very first Jedi or something, like something set long ago. Longer ago in a galaxy farther or farther away. Longer ago. And the other one was something involving a big battle between, I think, Return of the Jedi and Force Awakens, and it's we done by Dave Filoni and I think tie in all his gazillion TV shows and cartoons I, and stuff. I, I think that's supposed to be about how we get the first order in the resistance. Okay. Ah, okay. I think these are all very but, safe choices. Um, yeah, I, w- I will say this. I, I am cautiously optimistic about the uh, Daisy Ridley's uh, Ray movie, uh, if only because, well, one, it's being announced as a standalone, which I think is a great idea. I don't think yes. everything has to be a trilogy, whether it's Star Wars or not. But two, well, just that it time. <laughs> oh, oh, no. Yeah, yeah no, that's yeah. true. If it's if it's successful, they'll do more. Um, And I'm sure her contract will have a clause saying that she's got to show up in two more movies if they yeah. make more. Um, But um, even if it's just a cameo. But 
the um but I I have to say what I think one of the the setbacks of the the recent trilogy is that the entire cast was done dirty. Like I I yeah. feel that no character got a satisfying arc, no actor was really allowed to to show their acting chops. Now I do think that John Boyega got screwed over worst of all because they none of the like like the last Jedi and Rise of Skywalker neither of those movies knew what the hell to do with his character. So it it's just like, and Finn's there too. Um, yeah. So in all honesty, I would much rather, in a way, I would much rather see him get a movie just so his character can have a real arc that, that is outside the arc from The Force Awakens. But I do find Daisy Ridley really charming, and I did like her performance as Rey, at least in at least in the first two of the new trilogy. I like that a lot. And I would like to get some more of that. And I, I have a certain interest in seeing a more mature version of her character try to build something. Because trying to build something is a very different type of conflict than trying to oppose something. Yeah, that is true. But, I don't know if you all noticed this, but that was, you know, during, all this was announced during the big celebration, but the day after... They very quietly, knowing that people would be too distracted talking about the new stuff to notice this, they very quietly said, we are not actively working on Rain Johnson's trilogy. Really? Yeah, well, in all honesty, well, I've been waiting for that enough stuff. for a while. Not, not, that I, not that I want to hear that he's not going to get to make a movie, though I do have certain issues with him as a filmmaker. The movies can exist or not exist. It, it does, that doesn't bother me. But it's like they, they clearly had no intention of making those films. They announced that he was going to get his own trilogy way too soon. Right. And then it was like nothing. No news, no nothing. I am surprised that I, I'm sure this counts as a cancellation, but I am honestly shocked that they haven't just said, "Well, yeah, we're not doing those." Yeah, it's it's funny because it's like, uh, fucking the Ryan Johnson movie got like a lot of attention, it got good critical notices, it was financially successful, it created oh, yeah. an upset in like the nerd culture thing, and I'm like, isn't that what every Star Wars movie is supposed to do? <laughs> you know, in a sense, I mean, even, right, right. even the original Star Wars upon its release was hated by most diehard science fiction fans. But keep in mind, at the time, it was a throwback and science fiction had worked so hard to escape from the pulps and had become very talky and very thinky that this throwback being the biggest thing in the world did feel like a slap in the face. Oh, yeah. I mean, if you were, like, fucking hardcore 2001-style sci-fi, mm. like, 1977 Star Wars, that's like a fucking, yes, yeah, a swift kick in the tchotchkes. Sure, and I I mean, out of the earlier kind of... I mean, because they were announcing, you know, partially for the, the Disney Plus stuff, right? Just announcing movies as much as... Like, oh, we got a gazillion Star Wars stuff in the air. Like that Obi-Wan Kenobi show was supposed to be a movie originally after the Han Solo thing. And it didn't. felt like it. Uh, <laughs> yep. Yeah. Yeah. It was a bit long, a bit too many notes, as they said in Amadeus. But um, the one that really uh, bums me out that they didn't make was the Rogue Squadron movie, because it would be cool to get a movie just about the pilots. Um, 
Yeah, just, there was just a, a do the damn of... busters. Just do the damn busters yeah, in yeah. Star Wars, but don't make it the last battle. Just make it the whole movie the damn busters. Well, the 90s had these fun series of X-Wing books and, and so forth. You had the computer games you have. I mean, I think just that you can just do a show not being all about the Skywalkers and about the not having everything having to do with the prophecy and just kind of be about the regular guys. Yeah, it would, would be... Um, cool but i think i had more fun with the standalone movies than i did the actual trilogy uh, yeah i can i, I share a similar thing i dug rogue one no one yeah. likes solo i fucking like solo i thought it was fun it's a I, western in space i like solo but you can feel when that movie's been made to hold back oh yeah oh well, it was like a movie made twice too yeah. Got, yeah, and it got, yeah. I think it, it definitely got better as it went along, but I did audibly sigh in the theater where, oh, what's your name? Solo. Yeah, that sucks. Uh, yeah, awful. That, that was just fucking dumb. I, the, th- the thing is, in the Lord and Miller version, I bet that scene worked. Because I, I do think there is something fun about the most badass name in Star Wars being created by an Ellis Island type clerk just to fill out a form. <laughs> There's something there's something satirical about that. Right. I mean, would you have a scene like Leslie Nielsen's wrongfully accused where he's like looking around at the, <laughs> yeah. the <laughs> buzzing, on the desk? Buzzing it's frog. A baked potato Java hut. Yeah. Where are you from? Men's room. <laughs> <laughs> so stupid. Um, okay. But yeah, I mean, so what we'll see what happens. With those, Taika Waititi is supposed to be doing a, a Star Wars film at some point. So Supposed to be, but I believe a few months ago they announced that they I, were not actively working I feel on like Taika Waititi like, yeah. was like scripted to do everything. Like, wasn't he supposed to do Akira? That, no, that, that's to, true. Yeah, he had like, a lot of... A Matrix, a fucking Star Wars, so, He doesn't have to do anything if he doesn't want to. I mean, I think he... Um, you know, there's still more seasons of what we do in the shadows and... Uh, uh, or a flag means death, you know, those still have new seasons oh, yeah. and so forth. I so. just want Luca Gardnino's Scarface to come out, goddammit. <laughs> that, that's the movie I am hungry for. <laughs> Who would play Scarface? I have no idea. It's just been a letterboxed entry for like three years now. And it mm. says Scarface, blank, like white page Scarface. And it says, uh, directed by Luca Gardnino, a Mexican immigrant rises to the top of the criminal underworld in Los Angeles. You know... What I'm written by Joel kind of, and Ethan Cohen, Paul Antonaggio, uh, John Herman, and Gareth Dunnett. I love that on the last guy. Mm. Well, Paul Antonaggio and the Cohens. Fuck yeah. Too bad. Um, all right. Well, I guess let's. Uh, so, I mean, that's. I did. What I, I don't even know if I did what I was watching, but that's fine. Um, I, I mean, I we can, I or we could save it, because we, we did spend a lot of time doing sequel news. We did. I think we can just not do yeah. it this week and, and move on and wrap <laughs> it up. Uh, we do have your sequel scenes. Why don't you set the... Thing? Oh, yeah. So this is uh, this is when uh, the... Uh, this is this is when the gang has met back up in Dog Days, the hot dog place where they used to hang out in high school, and they're kind of getting reconnected. And Finch has shown up and done his whole "Ah, Konnichiwa" uh, scene. So this is just them kind of talking, ta- basically talking about their sex lives as they stand. So we got Jim, Finch, uh, and Kevin in this scene. I want to be Jim. I'll be Finch. Okay, I'll do Kevin. Great, let's go. You got laid in an art museum? 
The Mad. Oh, and and the Guggenheim with uh, Francesca. The Guggenheim. And then my social psyche professor in Baskin Robbins. All right, enough Finch. But I'll I'll tell you, none of these women even compare to Stifler's mom. Yay! Stifler's mom is a goddess. <laughs> Stifler. <laughs> Stifler. Okay, so I will say I did like Finch's like run of his sexual adventures and like having sex with these like exotic like well not exotic but but like like different pe- women from all over the world and all these like thrilling public locations the Met the Guggenheim and then like oh yeah and one of my professors in a Baskin Robbins <laughs> like that's uh, 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 that's a good third thing to mention they all sound that, like lies except for that one like that sounds like so this is the thing I don't think Finch is lying. I think he's oh, the yeah. only character that isn't using the world of th- rule of three because he's so particular. Right, right. But that's so that like that like the Baskin Robbins just implies and a professor implies a real level of seediness that I find hilarious. Also, I mean, you know, there's few things more cringy than a uh, Baskin Robbins bathroom. Oh <laughs> uh, yeah. I mean, but I, guess I tell you what, they created the thirty second flavor. Ah. Yeah, that's right. Uh, I mean, my favorite Baskin Robbins trivia is you had um, from producer Alan Carr a movie called Can't Stop the Music that was like a musical biopic about YMCA. And he he got um, Baskin Robbins to do Italian flavor Can't Stop the Nuts. (laughs) (laughs) What was it? Was that like a nut medley or was it just like candied walnuts or? Uh, I'd have to look it up. A lot of the images are pretty low quality because it was, you know, something people didn't think to document at the time. Huh. But um, I, I just think it's one of the most like unlikely tie-ins. But good on them. Like, yeah, if you're gonna see a YMCA biopic, I don't know if you're gonna be taking the family to Baskin Robbins afterwards. Probably not. <laughs> yeah. That well, you know what you know what I like think Howard Johnson's paid them a uh, million dollars to mention <laughs> Baskin Robbins in this shitty movie. Oh, okay. I found out what's in Can't Stop the Nuts, which has a hilarious flyer with like a yes. nut disco dancing. So uh-huh. Okay, so see Baskin Robbins in the movie opening June in theaters worldwide. Uh coconut and nut flavored ice cream with both chocolate and candy coated almonds uh with a milk chocolate ribbon oh that, tastes, that sounds good that, that sound sounds good. good it probably sets up every single allergy possible i'm wondering like yeah, nut right. flavored well, ice true. cream what kind of nuts you might mean if it's because when you think of ice cream my mind goes to the peanuts right but almonds i think there's some good? in there maybe uh I do like the praline ice cream sometimes. Oh yeah, praline is good. Shit. Oh hey, if uh, and in other uh, other uh, regrettable Baskin Robin movies flavors, apparently they did Condor Man Crunch to tie in with the <laughs> pre Marvel Disney superhero movie Condor Man. I didn't starring, even know that was a character. Starring the uh, composer, right? Al Pacino uh, as Condor Michael Man. Crawford. I'm Al Pacino. Yeah, Condor Man. Well, you know what's nuts is that 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 movie. It's based on a novel, but it's based on one chapter in that novel. Oh, oh chapter. strange. That somehow in the course of development became the whole movie. Yeah. That's, um, it's always bizarre to see what might have been with 
with that, you know, how stuff ends up in the end. Oh, yeah. Okay, so there's a Herbie goes to Monte Carlo flavor, too. I am falling down an ice cream rabbit hole. Help, we you know, we got to save it for a special about movie food tie-ins. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. I went to, I got soft serve with Adam Beach. When I, made, I, uh, I, I like I, the, the off-brand I, Robin Hood cereal that was not officially anything to do with Prince of Thieves. Hey, there was a cereal? I mean, it, it's not officially licensed to the movie, but it was just called Robin Hood the cereal or something. <laughs> it was just the laziest <laughs> knockoff. When, um, you know, and stuff like that, and uh, when those movies were coming out, it was just like, the mo- you know, the, the guy didn't look like Kevin Costner on the box. Like, it was like the worst <laughs> half-assed uh, tie-in. So, okay, so next yeah. week, we'll be talking about American Wedding for Sequel Cast 2. This is Matt. And this is Thrasher. And this is Alex. Saying... Come with me if you want to have a thrilling and consensual sexual experience. Ah, uh, I want my Guggenheim praline flavored soft serve. <laughs> you almost sounded like Pee Wee Herman there. <laughs> Tell me why you're here and who you are.